Gun, I think we are on. Yeah. So let me. Uh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Thank you, Google. Okay. <laughs> let me uh, get a little enhancement because um, my. Uh, okay. It's a. It's a bit artificial. Okay. I look like shit, but whatever. Who, who gives a shit? So. Well, at least we both do. Yeah. Oh uh, no. You have light behind you, which is actually kind of tempting me to open the shades back there. But I don't want to. I'm afraid if I get up, then it'll like explode. I don't think you need light behind you. I think you need light in front of you. Oh no, I, I totally agree. It's just I don't have any light in front of me. <laughs> like I, I don't have the option of having light in front of me. Um, so in fact, I'm going to turn on spotlight and see if that helps at all. No, it doesn't do a goddamn thing. <laughs> okay. Um, then we'll just uh, I'll put brighten on and, and leave it there, and you know people can just deal with it. it as I warned you, it's experiment. So anyway, um, Terry, welcome. Uh, thank thank you, you very much for doing this with me. As I warned you over. Messenger or whatever format we used, uh, it's an experiment, and I'm not really sure what this is or what it's going to be. But I appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, fuck around with me because I, as I warned you, I don't really know how this works, and this is my first time really trying it. As we just saw, actually the second time trying it, because <laughs> the last time was a miserable failure. Um, and uh, and and as you had asked me over uh, email, I I partially lied. Um, I wasn't going to do an interview because I, I, I frankly think that everyone has sort of got that ground covered. Um, but I was going to do, you know, there are things I have wanted to ask you, um, just sort of general stuff in, in life, and uh, there was never really an appropriate format. But then also, as I told you, um, I really like Aisha Tyler's format where she admitted uh, several times publicly that she doesn't prepare because she figures, like, you know, why not just have a conversation with a person? And so... That's why I told you it was a conversation rather than anything else. Um, so with that, how are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. It's funny, uh, this morning, uh, I guess with the time difference, like uh, I don't get a lot of the messages from people in California until I like wake up in the morning. Yeah. So this morning, I roll out of bed, and of course, like everyone living in the 21st century has a smartphone. The first thing I do is pick up my iPhone, and... Uh, <laughs> And 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 I was checking to see my messages and whatnot, and so I noticed a message from you, and so I read the message, and it said something like, "Guy on girl, Aisha, tape, uh, Aisha Tyler, or whatever." Yeah. And I had kind of forgotten our our oh, right. conversation <laughs> right. from like, the previous that from the previous night, and I was like, "Holy!" Because I th I thought the last message I'd sent you was. Uh, something to the extent of like uh, you know what is involved. Am I the only right. person who's going to be on? And then you said Aisha Taylor, and I was like, first <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> isn't that that hot celebrity chick? Not, and I, and I looked, looked her up, and I was like, man, that is she, what? And then then I went back, and I was like, oh no, no, I must be still in a dream world. I'm not yeah. completely woken up here, so no. I don't see Aisha anywhere, man. I, I feel no. like I've been gypped. You have, in fact. Um, and I, I apologize to anyone who ever ends up watching this. I'm going to eat a little bit. And so it's like there's there's a bunch of things wrong here. There's like my face you can't fucking see. And then there's uh, the food that will be going into my mouth. Um, and yes, that I have lied to my first conversational uh, uh, partner. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to say, too, I appreciate the uh, the short notice because I know we, we... I think I wrote to you, like, yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I'm um, pretty... I'm pretty good with short notice, though, and I have a very wow. understanding wife and no kids, so oh, uh, right, yeah. you know I've I've got a pretty pretty wide open, you know, like 
as long as I don't have any plans, I'm good to go. Right. And we like uh, my wife and I just went to see The Hobbit this afternoon. So oh, how was did. that? Oh, it was. Uh, I really enjoy those movies. Actually, they're quite good. Well, you know, okay. See, so here's the thing. I don't know how you would feel about this, but um, the first set I I loved. Like I own the box set at uh, special extendo editions, and oh, and to anyone who ever ends up watching this, I'm adjusting the the camera a lot because it's just pissing me off. So I'm just gonna probably keep doing that. But anyway, I'll um, I'll, I'll do it too, so you don't feel alone. Okay, good. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy the first ones, and I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the, the videos on YouTube uh, called How It Should Have Ended, but they tend to point out some pretty big blunders in the part of storytelling of major franchises. Um, for example, the one they did with Lord of the Rings was they, they showed uh, all the major characters on those bird things, which I guess were just birds, and they, they flew, they picked up Gandalf, and they picked up everybody else, and they had the ring, and they flew over to Death Mountain, and they dropped the ring in. They're like, wow, that was pretty easy, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm glad we didn't have to do like a, a three-year-long campaign against huge armies or anything. <laughs> and, and it's one of those things where I, I remember thinking, you know, th this is sort of the trouble with storytelling is um, at some point you're making a conceit. Like you are making, con my wife and I were talking about this last night, you're making contract with the audience where you're basically telling the audience, if you come with me on this journey, you will have a certain experience. And as long as you're honest with your audience, generally speaking, the experience is, is a good one to be had. For example, one of my uh, favorite sort of beer movies um, of the last 20 years was uh, the 99, The Mummy. Because if you pay attention to it, you, you watch the first like 10 minutes, it gives this whole prologue about how The Mummy became The Mummy. And I remember at some point thinking, because uh, they, they say specifically like he, he has been granted in, in, uh, immortality, invincibility, and I thought, okay, let, let's really be realistic about this. He's basically the equivalent of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or you know, some terrible, terrible person that we have as a society deemed a terrible person, for better or for worse. And we're willingly granting this terrible person, should they be reawoken in the future, just these astounding powers. And I thought, why the fuck would any society do that? It doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. But it's one of those things where if that didn't happen, the movie wouldn't exist. And yeah. so what you have to go with is like, okay, well, I want the movie to exist, so I'm going to have to just take this ride with you guys, even though it makes no fucking sense at all. And so I kind of felt that way with, with Lord of the Rings after I watched this thing. It was like, you know, they have a great point. All they had to do was fly over the mountain <laughs> and drop the ring in. But then there would be no Lord of the Rings. And I'm glad that there is Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, so I, I that all having been said, um, I saw the first Hobbit, and I, I kind of agree with the common criticism, which is that Lord of the Rings, the advantage is that um, it's like a really long book divided into three movies along the lines of the books, and that there's enough material, even though they obviously made a lot of changes, to turn that into three feature films that are all like a three and a half hours long. But the Hobbit, I mean, I remember reading that in like eighth grade, and it was... See if I can. It was about that thick, that tall, and so yeah, it was a story. It was a full story. It wasn't like a short story, but still, to me, um, seeing the first one, I really felt like, wow, they are just man. They're going down to the tiniest paragraphs to extract information to make this a three-hour-long epic, and um, I didn't find it a bad film. But I definitely, I remember it kind of passing out in the middle. I, I kind of thinking like, okay, this is like the fourth helicopter shot of guys walking. And whereas in the original trilogy, um, I was really excited and I felt a lot of tension, like, oh, they could be picked off at any point by whatever creature is coming after them. 
I didn't really feel that tension. And uh, and you know we could go on forever about this, and obviously we don't want to. But um, but I'm glad to hear that you liked it because that gives me hope that maybe the next one will you know have more of the conventions that we all want from a traditional you know um, fantasy Absolutely. story. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, obviously, with no, without giving any spoilers, it. I mean, it's much more action. There's a dragon, right? Well, well, I'll. I'm being a jackass. I'm being a jackass. I will. I will tell you that the dragon is the single coolest part of the whole fucking movie. Well, that makes Uh, sense, actually. I mean, it's it's Benedict Cumberbatch who was the best part of Star Trek Into Darkness and the best part. Well, not the best part, but a really good part of uh, of Sherlock. And I haven't seen his other films, so I can't speak to them, but. You know, I definitely, like, I remember, I don't know how you felt about Into Darkness, but I was watching it going, you know, if it weren't for this guy, I'd be like, give me my fucking money back. (laughs) And and I'm a huge Star Trek fan, so that's coming from someone who owns a uniform that was custom-tailored when he was in college. So I was just like, I'm into this guy, and... The beaming, and the Klingons, sort of. (laughs) And beyond that, I'm kind of feeling cheated here. But yeah, uh, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Oh no! I was just gonna say uh, that you know I did like the inter- interactive movies, and I and I am so far beyond being a Star Trek fan. Like I, I don't like I. I mean, I can appreciate. Like I have this really good friend. He's really into film, and he wanted to do film school, and he actually went to film school, and now he's gonna be a doctor and whatever. Anyway, oh, okay. there's a, a whole story. But anyway, when we went to university together, like we were totally like he was totally into film and he totally opened my eyes to kind of appreciating all types of film, no matter whether or not you kind of superficially like them or not. Like and uh, but anyway, it was a uh, uh, he he made me sit through I think the first two or three Star Trek movies and like it was I found it slightly painful, but like. I gained a new appreciation for uh, for uh, uh, for the Star Trek franchise when I watched the new the new ones, which are a bit less silly. They still have a little bit of cheese, but they're a bit more serious. So I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's um, a common excuse me criticism of the franchise in general is that in, in the early days it was pretty cheesy, and even in the TNG days there were some things about it that um, you know, like you can tell in the first season of TNG that um that they're wearing like one piece spandex and I'm not sure where anyone got the idea that um, that was a good choice because I think that sort of aesthetic had existed for decades in Hollywood where you know space travelers had a one piece suit and I'm a little surprised that even in 1987 when that show went on they were like you know what let's do that again because uh, (laughs) but uh, whatever I mean you know there are many varying opinions on the on the franchises, and I, I have heard all the criticism, and I actually agree with almost all of it, and yet um, I'm a bit of an apologist, and I've actually wondered why that is. Um, the only answer I can come to is that um, the character relationships I find very attractive, and into the, um, what is it called, uh, just the, the issues that they take on, because I remember thinking at one point that the, um, compared to Star Wars, like Star Wars is, I feel, a contained narrative, in as much as it's it's basically a story, and while that is not worse than what happens with Star Trek, it's a, a different experience. And um, even though there are a couple of core narratives that are standalone unto themselves in Star Trek, it's not the you know that's just the format of TV. Like in TV, you can just keep a story going if you so choose. Whereas a film, it's it doesn't really you know except for maybe James Bond, it doesn't really work that way. And even in James Bond, as I'm sure you know. Um, I think they're designed so that each film is basically narratively independent of the other ones. You know, there's not really 
any threads that carry from one to another they can all kind of exist in their own universe and uh, and so I think that's um, that's a huge difference there but um I, I wanted to ask you before I forget um, I've always been really curious uh, where you chose your uh, internet name analyzed atheist because actually for the longest time I didn't know whether it was analyzed with a D at the end or analyzed in fact I mistyped it today and I had to correct myself because I think I, I happened to see you type and I was like, oh, I still got it wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me about that. Well, um, the reason I picked that was because, well, I, mean, I guess it's for a couple of reasons. One is that I consider myself to be a fairly analytical type person. As okay. a lot of, I guess, skeptics kind of do, you know, I, I think deeply about life and the world and I think a lot about what makes sense scientifically for you know that's I like to think that way and I also think that on a deeper level um, the more we analyze ourselves and our lives and I don't mean analyze in the sense that uh, kind of uh, ruminate about it you know what I mean there's a, there's a difference between yeah. worrying about your life and constantly worrying about the future that's not what I mean I guess is that every time I react to something, and I mean, I mean, as as we're all human and we all have emotions and we all have these sometimes these snap judgments, these snap reactions, and there's this tendency to want to be able to trust your intuition. But I think that if there's anything that science and especially evolution has taught us, is that uh, we need to uh, be very skeptical and very aware of the fact that our intu intuitions. In, in the modern world that we live in, I, uh, often steer us wrong. So we have to analyze the way we think, the way we react. And first and foremost, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, you need to uh, think, what did I do or what can I do? Think that first. And think about it seriously before you start pointing fingers anywhere else. So now give me an example of that because I think I know what you're talking about, but I would love to just have a real life thing to point oh, at. Well, I mean, I guess like okay, let's just take interpersonal conflict. Dope. So like <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that's just like okay, so like it's a day to day, right? So say I have an argument with my wife and it's over something trivial as most arguments are. And 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 like it's like we just had a discussion today because we did have an argument today. Oh. And and I kind of and it wasn't a serious argument. It was something over something trivial, as most arguments are over something trivial. And I kind of give it give it a lot of thought. Uh, is that I think that in every exchange, and I know I'm still kind of going general here, but like just in a if, if me and you are having a conversation, and you say something, and I interpret that as a slight or some sort of insult, then I take that in. Now, a lot of people would say. If you say something to me that could be construed as defensive, or uh, sorry, uh, offensive, and it, it, some people would say that it's automatic response for me to be defensive, it's warranted. I should go on the defense. I should attack, or or at least, um, you know, go back at you. You know what I mean? Because you deserve it. Whereas I think it's better to say every time, like if you're passing the ball back and forth, when the ball is in your court. It's up to you to decide how to react and what to say. When the ball comes over to my side, it's up to me to decide. Am I going to take a moment to reflect and ask you a question about to clarify or whatever, or am I just going to go forth and react? Am I making sense here? Am I being... Yeah, I, I think I, I get where you're coming from. Um, 
I think that you just people need to reflect more before they open their mouths. And every opportunity they have to build a bridge, they should try to build a bridge. You know what I mean? Like I guess it's a kind of a humanistic thing for me, like right. treating treating people, even people that you don't really like that much, with compassion, is a better uh, path to uh, wellness. Well, and I would imagine to just general principles of civilization, because if everyone is in conflict all the time, you can't you can't coalesce ever. I would imagine. I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm not exactly sure about that, but you know, if, it, if you're constantly at, at at someone else's throat and they're constantly at your throat, then that's sort of taking up all your time uh, from a practical standpoint. Um, and then th there's nothing else that can happen while that's going on. Um, yeah, I don't know if you're referring to anything, and I'm not going to name any names, because one of the promises I made for myself uh, with this process, whatever it turned out to be, was that I wouldn't shit all over people. Um, but I have definitely run into a few cases in the last couple of years where um, oftentimes, from my point of view, things started from an innocent, genuine place of curiosity, and then before I knew it, they had launched into this just vitriolic, nasty place, and I'm not innocent in all of those situations. I made choices that I didn't have to make, but um, I remember one of the last exchanges I had with someone, I, I remember thinking, like, you know, I don't actually have to respond. There is no obligation here. The, this person has said something. I disagree. Oh, I got some email. Um, and while I feel that I still do have a point to be made, I, given the history so far, as brief as it has been, this person has not demonstrated, at least as far as I'm concerned, an ability to, um, to stand back from his or her presumptions and really do what you're saying and really think about it, like, how am I arriving at this conclusion? And an example of this, um, without still naming names, was um, this person made a claim about the validity of an argument and saying like, well, if the arguer is this kind of person, the argument is invalid. And I was like, well, wh how did you arrive at that? Because, I mean, even Hitler, oh, God, I hate it, I just fucking said that, but even Hitler was a vegetarian. So, and he woke up, you know, in the morning and he didn't smoke and he didn't drink and he didn't um, drink coffee. Or, I, I don't actually know if that's all true, but I, I've heard these rumors. So let's just say that they're true for sake of argument. Does that mean then that those acts are less because he did them? Well, no, of course not. They're they're good or bad on their own merits. Um, and that was what I told him was like, you know, an argument is valid if it's valid, if it if it is supported by evidence, if it is logically followed through. On some level, it doesn't matter where the argument originated. And I understand that we all have these bags of cultural baggage um, attached to things. You know, if I've seen this a bunch of times. I've been guilty of it too. I, I've seen, you know, people say like, oh, well, you know, this guy said this and, you know, he beat children when he was, I don't know, running a children thing. And so therefore, what he said is bad. And it's like, well, what he did was bad, yes. But what he said isn't invalid because he said it. It's invalid because it is invalid. And it was funny to me was when I presented this to this person, um, he basically kept on with, no, the person who delivers the argument influences the argument, and therefore, if the per 
And I, I was really pretty surprised because um, this was someone from within the atheist community and presumably from a place of, as we have discussed, you and I, uh, skepticism and, and analysis and all that. And I, I remember thinking, if this were any other person from any other community, I would just, like, I, I would just disregard it. I would say, like, okay, we well, obviously don't know how logic works or how validity works, and that's fine. You don't have to, but, you know. And, and I remember thinking, too, like, I would not be shocked if this were coming from a creationist at all. I, I'd be like, okay, yeah, totally. I, I give this. And I kept thinking, God, where, how does this happen? Now, I don't consider myself a brilliant person, but I thought I, I at least know the basics, you know? <laughs> I at least know that the validity of the argument depends on the argument, not on the, the arguer. Um, and and I, was, I, I walked away from it feeling pretty frustrated, but as I said in the beginning, I, I finally went, you know what, what are you gaining from this exchange that you could be using that time with, with something else? And, and that's why I, I didn't even say goodbye. I didn't even say, you know what, I'm done. I just, I just thought, you know what, I don't owe this person anything at all. He doesn't owe me anything at all, so I'm just going to let this go because it's not going it, to—it's not going to resolve itself. It's—it it is clear that this person has an agenda, in my opinion, and his goal is to further that agenda, which is, by all means, his right. But that means that we're going to go in round circles, and nothing's going to be accomplished. And as you said, like when I thought to myself, "Why am I doing this?" The only answer I had was because I am. <laughs> it was like, okay, well, that's a pretty shitty reason to do anything. So. And, and, and it took me a couple of days to let go because I was like, you know, I should have said this, I should have, but I was like, no, Anton, you should just leave it be because you're not accomplishing anything, he's not accomplishing anything, you together are not accomplishing anything, and you're not gaining anything from it, so just let it go and, and move on. And I'm really glad I did that because I think it just, it, seriously, it could have gone on for weeks and months, and, and he would have gone to his camp complaining about me, and I would have gone to my camp complaining about him, and bleh, so. Yeah, you know... It... I agree with you 100% on arguments stand on their own merits, and uh, regardless, like, I, I do think that, you know, it's, you can't, I do, I do think that if you got someone who has a reputation in the past for putting forth, say, ridiculous arguments, that, you know, but just like, actually, you know, maybe maybe I'm even disagreeing with myself what I'm about to say here. Because even if you've got someone who who like uh, offers really good arguments every time, that doesn't mean you should swallow whatever he, this person says wholesale, right? You should treat each argument, no matter where it comes from, with the same degree of skepticism because we all have biases. Oh and yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Right, and so so I mean, like, and this is where you're going. I mean, and this hard, and the, the hard part about it, and this is what makes I think this whole idea of treating other people with fairly and with compassion comes in is that you have to even people you don't really like, even people that really irk you, they got personality types that drive you right up the fucking wall. You, if they come to you and they have an argument, you really should listen to the, mer the merits of the argument itself, regardless of where it comes from. Um, it's funny because what you're describing really reminds me of this. Uh, this uh, a couple of discussions I've had on Facebook with some people, and one was a guy I really don't know very well, and it was just on some random atheist uh, free-thinking Facebook page. And anyway, we were talking about whether or not an objective morality exists. That's a tough and one. <laughs> it's a tough one, and but it's really interesting. And I think that I've got. Uh, like along with, and it's based on base. I can't take any credit for it. Basically, Sam Harris's uh, position on like have you ever, I don't know if you've read or heard of the moral landscape um, 
but it's a fantastic book. It's completely changed the way I look at morality. And I actually believe that there is an objective morality, but not the type of one that comes from on high. You know what right, I mean? Like, right. not not a uh, see. There's a difference in my mind between objective morality and absolute morality. Morality. Objective, okay. objective to me, and this was really the biggest difference, say, between myself and uh, the person I was arguing with, is that I was willing to admit that there are some things that I do that some people who are equally as even like humanists or atheists or whatever, not just religious people, but who might look at some of the things that I do and say that they're objectively wrong or say right. that they're like none of us are perfectly ethical people. Like and I and I really got this other person to reveal his hand when we got in. He got he basically said, "Okay." He gave me a list of all these uh, difficult situations to judge whether or not they're moral, right? And I just went back at him and I said, and I said, I basically gave him. De I said, "You can't judge these based on these black and white details. You have to have more context." And this is how objective morality works. You evaluate e each situation. Uh, on its own merits, and you may make a different decision in different times. That doesn't mean that there is no objective morality. The objectivity comes in when you when you accept that there is a non-biased way to go through it. And the way that it's non-biased is that you have as many people who have the, s the same or similar type of moral systems talking about it and reasoning and arguing about what's right and what's wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but wouldn't you agree, though, that a moral system on its own is a, a subjective thing? Because I remember hearing many, many years ago, um, I think it was during his uh, politically incorrect days, Bill Maher argued that there are some civilizations are better than others, and that can be objectively measured. And at the time, I was kind of swimming in a bit of a stew of, um, of PC-ness that would now be reviled, um, where I was coming from a place where each culture is a thing unto itself and therefore it's not really accurate or useful to judge it from an outside culture because every culture has things about it which are um, are judged by others not to be good and so I wasn't entirely convinced by what he said but then I thought about it later and I thought you know the culture he was talking about I, I, I hate to put it this way but I can't think of another way to put it was um, overall uh, Muslim culture where he said you know any culture that is okay with beheading people publicly for infractions such as stealing, uh, and I'm not quoting, so I may have gotten that wrong, um, that culture is inferior to ours because we wouldn't do that. And on that one point, I kind of agreed with him, but then um, I've been, I don't know how y'all are up in, in Canada, but I've been uh, pretty staunchly uh, against the death penalty, mainly because it's not a deterrent. I mean, that's obvious. You know, People still kill people, and, mm -hmm. and the threat of... Um, of being put to the chair or the gas chamber has not seemed to have made really any difference to that. And then there's other things like I, I, I find odd um, the notion of the state taking the life of a person in just a philosophical sense. I find that very strange and I don't know that I could argue against it effectively but, um, but those things I find morally reprehensible and I'm not even sure I can defend that position but I, I just do. I, I find if a, a, a civilization is going to say another civilization is lesser than the first one because of public beheadings, I would say, well, the only real difference when it gets down to it, because I know that there can be witnesses at executions in America, 
The only difference is the location, it seems to me, and the means by which you're committing the uh, execution. Because, yeah, I, I've seen the shocking footage of people being publicly beheaded, and it looks shocking to our eyes. But I've also seen, um, or I've not really seen, I've seen depictions of it, but that's not quite the same thing, obviously. I, I've read about, oh, you know, the family was present at this guy's execution. I thought, well, fundamentally, that's not really that different. You know, there are walls surrounding the area, and there is a wall separation between the observees and the, the criminal, but it's still people watching it happen. And I suppose that the construction of the walls is a step in the right direction, but is it really that fundamentally different? So while I, I understand what you're saying, I, I'm, I remain largely unconvinced of... It, it seems to me that morality, as most people think of it, is basically what has worked the best for the most number of people for the longest period of time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that you... Just I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I'll, I, I mean, like, you know, some people will say that, okay... I'm going to be very upfront here. I'm basing the idea that there's objective morality on the idea that a humanistic approach to the world, which is kindness and compassion for all living things and, and humans at being the center of that moral autonomy, that is, to me, the definition of an objective morality. Because what it means, and, and I like, really like that Bill Maher point you made, but it really illustrates the problem with this whole idea of rejecting of cultures because Bill Maher what he's done in one swoop is said one thing that's really reasonable which is public beheadings are not good for human flourishing no you're definitely right that's not good for human flourishing however that doesn't mean that everything in that culture is horrible right so yeah, exactly and and a lot of people say that the barriers to determining what's good and what's bad at the detail level are so great that we could never figure out an objective morality or some sort, some sort of thing, and because the barriers are so great that we have to just conclude that uh, things are subjective. But uh, I kind of reject that idea, and the reason why is because I kind of look at it this way. Do we know everything that there is to know about the universe? Is it even likely that we will solve every scientific mystery? Um, even myself as a very a pure scientist, and I have a lot of I believe that science will find it a lot of answers. I believe science is the only path to truth, or more correctly put, um, our best approximation of reality. Uh, it, it won't. It, there's a very good. There's a very good chance we may not know all the answers. We're just going to get ever closer to that, to the answers that we may never find. You know what I'm saying? So just because, in uh, from a practical standpoint, we may never be able to answer all moral questions. That doesn't mean that we should throw the baby out the bathwater and say that we can't have a reasoned discussion about this stuff. One of the things that in, in Sam Harris's book that he talks about is that in the moral landscape, there are multiple peaks. There are multiple ways to achieve that good or that that wellness that humans approach. Whereas if you want to look at it from a meditation point of view, he supports an idea of secular meditation. Really it's just when Muslims uh, pray, pray or, or, or Christians pray. Uh, you know, like, and I'm not saying that they are 
their systems hit some highs, they also hit a lot of lows. So as we all have an open discussion about what's good and what's bad, and as the dogma starts to get dragged out of these systems kicking and screaming, we all start to move, I think, towards a more secular humanistic way of thinking. I mean, I know that many of the Christians that I know um, are only Christian because by tradition. And if you look, look at the way they evaluate their moral lives, they do it from a secular hum, humanistic standpoint. They just don't know it or don't care to admit it. And so I think that's where the world is going. And if we're honest with each other and to ourselves, there are real answers to moral questions. They can be found. We just have to do the work. And it's not going to it's going to be messy along the way. There's probably going to be more fighting. There's probably going to be more bloodshed. I don't want that to happen, but this is how change happens. And um, you know, it, it, the guy I had a discussion with, one of the things then this is like I said, this is how he showed his hand. He said, "Well, take this for example, spanking. I don't think spanking <laughs> is immoral, and you do. Who how do we decide who's right?" And so I said, okay, to me, spanking, uh, or, or to me, morality is the greatest good by the greatest, for the greatest number. Just like you said, utilitarian, right. secular humanism type of thing, right? And, and he said, well, you know, I disagree. You know, I think it's good. But just because you disagree, it doesn't right. mean it's good. <laughs> you don't, we don't get, all get to decide because by that line of thinking, you can say, Anton, that, oh, I think that public beheadings are good. Now, what basis do you have to tell me if you – do you not understand? Like if, if, if you're going to say something is subjective, then you've now drawn this yeah. line yeah. saying yeah. that protects um, anyone who has a judgment that something that is morally abhorrent to the rest of us. Uh, is 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 moral on from their from their point of view, and um, it to me it it just doesn't make any sense. I mean that doesn't mean, and I know that there are things that I do that other uh, atheists might deem uh, unethical or immoral, and I don't mean like horrible things, but just think about it. Like there's little things like for me at, at, when I when I for example I won't say me I'll say. <laughs> you know, someone working, uh, someone who works, you know, at their office, and you know they use every office has a code of conduct. So if you you're not supposed to use any office supplies or anything like that for your own personal use, right? Right, right. I mean, yeah. you want to look at black and white. That's the way it is. Yeah. And if you make that decision, then a lot of people through black and white would say that's unethical, right? Even if it's just writing a note to your wife on a post-it and then giving the post-it to her. I mean, that's about as benign as you can possibly come up with. But some people would say, that's wrong. And they wouldn't necessarily be uh, incorrect. You know what I mean? No, I agree with you, yeah. But, yeah. but just because that there's this, this gray area doesn't mean that there isn't – that we can't talk about specific situations and, and, and think about – real consequences of, of our actions and, and, and figure out what's right and what's wrong. Just because we're not in agreement all the time, it doesn't mean there are no answers, right? And uh, anyway, go ahead. I've been yeah, talking I, for a while. No, I, I agree with that. I, I guess um, 
It, I mean, it sounds like we actually uh, agree on this. We just have been using different terms, um, and maybe that's the the problem that I have is that I I have been using the wrong vocabulary. But I, because uh, what what you said, you know, the greatest good for the greatest number of people, um, that has seemed to me to be the only real way of um, of making moral judgments. Um, because when I when I've thought about it over the years, I just I can't arrive at any. I know you said you're not going for absolute, but I know a lot of people do, so I think it has some practical value to talk about that. Um, and, and I can't ever arrive at really anything that I feel is satisfactory. The only thing that I've been able to arrive at recently has been asking myself, um, for myself personally or for a society at large, what is the goal? And then what is the best, easiest, most efficient way to achieve that goal while satisfying you know, the greatest whatever for the greatest number of people? For example, um, this is just off the top of my head. Um, I am absolutely for immigration in the United States. Like I'm, I'm for anyone from anywhere coming to this country and making a better life for themselves. Um, not to get too, you know, red, white, and blue on you, but I think that that was at least at one point the goal of the founding of this country, and what's in the constant. Like I think that was the idea: was we we should throw away kings in the old world. We should throw away the old ideas that we had of government and say, you know what, we should make it by the people for the people, etc and take that to its logical conclusion. And in my opinion, even though the, the United States as a country has made some pretty horrendous mistakes uh, on small and large scales, I think that that is still a sentiment that at least on the surface we all aspire to. That having been said, I understand the conservative side in this country where they say no illegal immigrants. And my question about that is is the goal. The goal is, I, as far as I understand it, to have people come to this country under legitimate means and create a better life for themselves. And in that process, not have any of those people, for lack of better terms, take advantage of the system and suckle at the government teeth and all that sort of thing. And, and I, I say I understand the sentiment because I've met people who, um, who are like the immediate descendants of immigrants who came to this country under legitimate means and they resent the idea that someone can just walk in from Canada or walk in from Mexico and provided they stay here long enough they just get to stay because their, uh, their point was like, well, why should they be allowed to do that when I had to come here, you know, I had to apply, I had to wait on a list, like why should it be any different just because they happen to have dodged the barbed wire? And I kind of agree with that, um, you know. And in fact, in my own history, I look back, and, and my family only goes back a couple of generations in this country on one side of it, where we, uh, but my grandfather came from uh, from Germany through Canada, and they came over on a boat. I've seen uh, a copy of the manifest. I've seen his little name and his age, and it's very cute. And honestly, I don't know whether they came by legitimate means. I don't know if they just jumped on a boat. I'm going to assume because it's easier and nicer <laughs> to assume that. But um, it may just be an assumption. But my, my point is that um, you know we all in this country, and I think even Canada, of course, it, it only goes back so far. You know, before someone arrived here from somewhere else. Um, and so my question to conservatives has been: Okay, if the goal is to um, to have everything be legitimate, what is the solution to that? And honestly, I don't know what the solution is. At least from a, a practical um, government standpoint. Um, one of the things that I, an idea of I, I've had was some sort of step process by which if you manage to cross the barbed wire, you can go to an office and register yourself where you do not get full voting rights, you do not get full whatever else rights, but you get to stay provided you get a job and 
you know, and you maybe are taxed. And, and I know that there are some institutions like this that already exist. Like I think green cards is where you can't vote, but you pay taxes or resident alien. Um, because my question has been, okay, you know, what we want is our fruit to be cheap. And the way it is cheap is that foreign laborers pick it for us. Um, so, you know, to say we don't want them here is, is bullshit. We do, because we're not, we're not going to do that. But we want them here under a certain circumstance. And I don't know what would be the easiest, best way to do that, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is while I do feel that everyone should come here to make a better life, I do understand the idea that it should be under means that we all agree on, where people don't, where people don't feel the need to sneak past hardware, where they can just walk in and do it in such a way that 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 it works. Um, now, obviously, that ignores practicalities like, well, that's a whole lot of people, <laughs> you know, well, that are be I, just marching I think, in. I think that I don't know. Like, I mean, I can totally see the point of what. You know, like people, people saying like they just don't want people to walk in because there's other people who come under and done, jump through all the hoops they need to jump through. They've done everything they need to do. Um, the important thing to realize is that you know not everyone has the background or, or whatever to do that. But more than anything else, um, the you know there there needs to be some willingness on the part of enforcement of these types of things to take each situation in kind. Because some people flee their their home country and they're in duress, you know what yeah. I mean? Like they're leaving for that reason. And there are people who are there to kind of, who leave just because they want to walk on in and, and make a life. And you know maybe there needs to be the uh, punishments or the or or the whatever that is being done to to try to control it. It need to be on a scale that reflects uh, you know the the reasons why people are coming. Now, I understand that this is a major undertaking. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people coming in, and how do you evaluate the situations of each individual person? And I say, well, isn't the fucking government's job? You yeah. know, I mean, like, like, yeah. and I, and I, you know, like, I just think about, and I know, you know, this is the extreme example, but like, you know, a family, I don't know, from Mexico or from wherever, fleeing. You know, I don't know, whatever, fleeing some sort of violence and coming in and then getting caught and then just being deported. Like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, get the fuck out because you're not supposed to be here. And and and, and you would hope that there would be a bit more attention paid, you know what I mean, to to the reasons why people are end up where they are. And I've I got to be honest, I'm speaking from a, a position of ignorance because I really don't understand the, the immigration issues, even in Canada, really, in the States. Yeah. It's not really a topic I've paid close attention to. But, I mean, it's like it's like anything. Um, the, the government shouldn't view you as a number. They should view you as a person even if it's someone coming from another country, you know what I mean? Like you're not just some digit that crosses a border. You're a person that has a history, and maybe you're a fucking killer and a psychopath, and maybe <laughs> we should look into that. But should we yeah. treat everybody who comes in as if they're gonna like blow up the next building? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? You take the appropriate security measures and realize that there is no such thing as a perfect system, and it's much better. And a lot of people would disagree, but I think you, if you boil it down to the death penalty too, you've kind of seen the 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 thing here. I would rather 
let a killer walk free than kill one innocent person. I mean, like... Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, because a it, lot of people you can't say, take that back. <laughs> yeah, you can't take it back. I mean, like, what? what is more immoral than saying someone who did absolutely nothing wrong, they led a good life, deserves to die because, you know, he, was in the, he or she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, like, people are going to kill and rape and do all of these things, and they're going to happen. They are part of living on this earth. It is a suck, yes, but that doesn't mean that the rest of us don't deserve some, some sort of freedom. You know what I yeah, mean? So yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's why I spoke of goals because um, I think I, sometimes I've asked people who hold these positions, "What is the goal here?" Because if the goal here is to uh, legitimize immigration, on the very base of it, it's a democracy, a republican democracy. So in theory, all we have to do is drop a policy that addresses that issue. It's not impossible. It can't happen. It's very very difficult because that's a lot of people you have to satisfy. But it is possible, and um, and so that's that's why you know when I I, I saw this uh, documentary piece on um, this very case where it was it was Morgan Spurlock's show thirty thirty days or thirty thirty the, the whole the, the the idea the premise of the show was that you took um, two different people from different walks of life or opposite walks of life and you switched them into the other person's shoes or the family's shoes so they could learn from each other and I think it was a, a very nice little um, idea, and, and the one that I saw was um, a vehement anti-immigration activist who was of Latino persuasion. Um, he he was like a border patrol guy. That's sort of his hobby, and they had him stay for 30 days with an immigrant family where um, I think the daughter was born in this country and her brother's born in this country, but the parents and grandparents were not. And... Um, and you know, and, and there was some of the stuff that you would expect. There was the teary this and the oh shucks that. But um, one of the things that I have found in my discussions with people who disagree with me is there's often this idea that they think is good. And when I say, okay, how do you propose to arrive at that? They often come up blank. And my response is, okay, well, if you can't come up with anything at all, then it seems like the purpose of this is just to complain about it. And that itself, to me, is pretty valueless because it seems like it's a self-serving, like, I just want to complain about this, which is why a lot of issues I just don't have an opinion on because um, they are not issues that I feel like are worth my time to worry about. And, and obviously someone could criticize me on that and say, oh, we need to open your eyes and that sort of thing. But, um, but I, I just find in a day-to-day -day basis, like, I'm not there has not been a great solution found to whatever the problem might be and I don't consider myself a political scientist competent enough to come up with it and so I'm like okay well we're back to a null set you know I, I can't say anything about this I don't know anything about this so rather than worry about it I, it's actually um, this is how I feel about the gun control issue in the states is I've read the second amendment I know what it says um, I don't know all the context behind it because I find some of the phrasing odd because I, I don't know if you've read it recently but it, it does say a well-regulated militia and I've thought, why did they even include that? Because to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, that's pretty clear. And it says the right of the people to keep and bear arms, that seems clear. But if that's all they meant, then why did they include the phrase regulated militia? Because that suggests to me that the implication, at least partially, was that it was not necessarily let's arm every person in the country with an AK-47. It was 
we have the general goal of keeping ourselves safe, presumably from foreign invaders, and therefore, if we if we want that, there is an easy way to accomplish that, which is arming the people. Um, now, in my discussions with people, the difficulty I have found is that um, I hear the sentiment. I hear the I have the right to defend my family, and I say yes. I, I don't have a disagreement with that. What I have a disagreement with is the data is people die for no good reason in school shootings and whatnot. So that's the evidence. Um, I don't know what causes that. I'm not an expert in it, but but I do know that there's a problem. And so well, my I question is, how do we solve the problem? And and I, I it's so funny because se several activists have told me like, oh well, I bet you just want to throw it. And I say no, I'm not saying throw away the Second Amendment. I I don't feel that way at all. I recognize that it's there and I respect that. And I ask, how do we, working within that framework, solve this problem? And I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know that it isn't not doing anything at all. You know, but uh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, like, this is something I do know a little bit about. In Canada, ah, excellent. In, in Canada, it's, uh, the gun regulation is a lot stiffer, right? And we don't have as much gun crime. But now, you know, there's also the fact that Canada doesn't have nearly as many people as the United right. States. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, but I'm pretty sure per capita, um, I can't, I'm, I'm, I am kind of, it is an educated guess. I can't say for sure. Don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure per capita we do have a lot less gun violence. Terry Sacri says we don't, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the, I think what's interesting, and I think what a lot of people are not thinking about, because I've heard people say, okay, well, you know, uh, restricting guns is not going to do anything for uh, or more steeply regulating people who are you know doing good or whatever or not doing good but like are not intending to commit any crimes isn't going to uh, decrease the amount of gun crime but it will and there's a good re and the reason why is because the fewer guns that are out there because i'm trying to t i'm thinking right now the vast majority of criminals that are committing crimes with guns are not they may be but i would say a good bit of the time they're not using guns that they've registered themselves they have a trace on it all right. of this sort of thing right but where do they get them? They steal them from the general public a lot of the time, or get them on the black market or whatever. But like the the fewer guns that there are out there, the less there are for people to steal. I mean, think about it. I mean, if I'm desperate enough, um, in in certain areas of the states, if I need a gun to rob a liquor store, rob whatever, uh, there's a very good chance that like I don't know, maybe in Texas or some of these real gun toting type places. I'm, if I if I just randomly break into a few cars, there's a very good chance I might find one in a glove box. Yeah. What do you think? Right. Well, I so, mean, uh, yeah. There, I mean, there's at least a reasonable chance. Yeah, that that could happen. I mean, totally. I, you know, I'm not saying that like you know, I, you you break into ten cars, none of them are going to have a gun. But yeah. all I'm saying is that you know, <laughs> when you live in a society that has this kind of loosey goosey feeling towards these types of very violent weapons. Um, you know, when someone's in a desperate situation, that's what they're going to do. They're going to smash in the window of every car they find until they find a fucking gun. And that will work. You know what I mean? That will work. It might not work every time, but it will work if it's working at least some of the time. Uh, and, I, and I can tell you with a high level of, of, of confidence that, that, that it's not going to work nearly as often in Canada as it would in the States.
for the reason that there's more regulation. I mean, like, if there's fewer guns out there in the world, then you need fewer guns to defend yourself. You know what I mean? That all makes sense. Now, the the thing that I have heard um, as a criticism, which I think is a pretty valid one, and I don't have an answer to, is um, if you criminalize guns, and only criminals will will have them, because if one wants a gun and one has enough money to, as you mentioned, go to the black market, um, and as long as as long as there's there is there's demand, there will be a supply. And I, I I'm not a huge capitalist. I, I see problems in capitalism um, in a general way that I won't go into right now, but. I do understand that principle. Generally speaking, if a consumer wants something and there is someone who is willing to provide that service, whether it's legal or not, it will be provided um, as long as the consumer can pay for it. And I, I can easily see, um, you know, I've lived in parts of the country where there were certainly people who seemed to value having a gun and some of them for, I think, you know, legit reasons uh, to, to take care of their family, that sort of thing. Um, but those who had less legit and, and legal reasons, should they have wanted to, I don't think it would have been that hard to acquire. And, and actually, I wanted to hear from people from other countries like you how that issue was resolved because I, uh, my wife told me that she did some research and that Britain has no guns, and I wonder how the hell that's possible because presumably there's at least one person in all of England who has enough money to pay for someone to bring a gun in from France or wherever. And if that is a reality, then what is stopping that? And I, I just I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I think that there's this overall very there's there, to the argument to that argument there's this very first of all over overarching negative uh, attitude and pessimistic attitude towards people. <laughs> first of all, uh, yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's definitely and, part of it. And and the other side of it is that well, I mean I, I think that. Stiff regulation, or at least strict regulation, is important. I would never support criminalization of it uh, because it, what happens is that you're right. There are good reasons why people want guns, or and I mean it might not even be for, for personal protection. Sometimes people want guns because they want to hunt. If they were criminalized yeah. at the extreme level, you know what I mean. Then what? But you're forcing people to do is you're forcing people to break the law. To do something that, in and of it itself, is not necessarily going to lead to the harm of another person. You know what I mean? But yeah, by no, increase, I agree with that. but like I've I've heard the, the people talk about how like having stricter regulation stops me or stops not me, but stops someone, uh, a wife or a husband who just had a crazy emotional fight with their spouse. And they're so fucking pissed. It's a crime of passion. Say they walked in on them with another person, and they're just so yeah. blind with rage. Stops them from running out and getting a gun. Now, if they have to go through this back, these background checks, and all this kind of stuff, I mean, that doesn't mean they're not going to get their gun, and it doesn't mean they're not going to commit the crime. It mean the debate, and, and but but I mean, for most of us, when you're in the heat of the moment, because we all yeah. experience that to a more or a less degree. The longer you have. To think about it before you get to react, the less likely or the less explosive your action will be, right? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, that's what you're giving these you're giving people the opportunity to allow their themselves to simmer the fuck down before they put their hand on a weapon. I mean, like, uh, because you know, 
and it's not to say that sometimes those emotions are not justifiable in the sense that you know yes we're human and not all emotions are irrational and sometimes you you totally agree I mean like I get really fucking pissed about some shit but like that doesn't mean that I should demean or physically hurt or emotionally hurt somewhere else someone else it means that I need to take responsibility for those emotions and gauge them appropriately and sometimes it's the responsibility of the government to make sure that if I have a history of rage or whatever or in that the mental health thing comes in there of course right you know what I mean when you look at people's histories and all that yeah. that's part of it but a stiff regulation is important and like and it's what I'm a big proponent of the decriminalization of most drugs Oh, absolutely. Which, I think we should a, I think we should have them in corner drugstores in 7-Elevens and tax the shit out of them. I mean, people are going to do them anyway and provided they don't do them while say driving, which obviously, you know, we're not going to be able to stop all cases, but I, I think I don't know if you've seen statistics of um of our jailing of people, but quite a large number are are just drug users and yes. I I really don't see the point of you know, I don't personally do many drugs myself. I've actually only done like two <laughs> ever, including alcohol and 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 the occasional cigar um, every once in a while. And I don't see the point of making that. And, and and in fact, ever since I was a kid, I remember thinking, why is it that we we are totally okay with providing in Seven Elevens? A drug, alcohol, which does we we know there is no mystery to it. We know it impedes people's judgment to the degree that there are thousands and thousands of car crashes a year, and that's not illegal. Well, and, yet and it's pot, which doesn't, or I mean, I, it, it's it's not the same thing. It we have this, and I I've never understood that. It doesn't make any sense to me. And the problem is too is that this like you know there's there's all these like these dare programs that come oh, out. Oh god, of, that was a bunch know, of crap. I remember yeah, that like, very all well. Of this, and and like a lot of people just accept this as gospel. And what you don't, what they don't realize is that because uh, the, a lot of this is so taboo in Western culture still, and hasn't really been openly studied in the way it needs to be studied. I mean, like I've seen, you see studies come out all the time that say things like, "Well, oh, there's a study that shows that cocaine maybe is not as addictive as once thought." You know what I mean? Like because you know, not all scientists are objective either, and sometimes they make. They, 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 you know what I mean? They make their own, they fudge their data or whatever, and that's why it's so important to openly study these things and not have one study and then be like, okay, well, we, everything, all of our biases have been confirmed, so now <laughs> we should just close the book on that. I mean, and uh, it just, to me, it's, and it all comes back to a humanistic philosophy. Anton, if you want to get high on coke inside your house all fucking day, and not get a job and waste away your life as long as you don't step outside that door and hurt someone else or get behind the wheel and do that kind of thing. If that's your choice, and I mean, like, I would, if you were my close, close friend, I knew you really, really well, I would say, man, maybe you should rethink that. That's probably not the best way to spend your life. You could get out and do a little bit something more productive. But at the same time, if you're not hurting anybody else, you know what? Why? You know why do I care so much? Why am I so obsessed about whether or not you do a line of white substance in your house behind closed doors and not hurting anybody else? Right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. And and actually, uh, on that note, we only have a couple minutes left because I, I have to go, and I'm sure you have to go as well. But before we do that, um, I wanted to uh, I, I give you the opportunity soon, uh, should you want to take it to to drop any plugs if you like. Um, but before that. I just wanted to quickly know how you um, 
I guess the one minute version, the two minute version, how you got hooked up with uh, Reapso Radio because uh, that's where I found you and uh, where I started listening to you guys and um, your, on some level actually, your personality and, and Reap's uh, definitely seem to be quite a bit different in that um, I think you and I have agreed that he's he's a, a bit more, um, I don't even want to say confrontational because it's, it's not quite accurate, but he's he's more abrasive in some things than people like you and Brian are and um, and I actually would have anticipated a lot more conflict on the show because of that uh, and yet there isn't, which is good. Um, and uh, so I was just curious about how you bumped into that whole situation. Well, uh, I guess, I mean, I was like anything. I, I mean, I, I started my, my my blog. I'll start from the beginning. A few years okay. uh, after I first became started becoming out, really outspoken on a lot of these issues, I started basically driving everyone in my family and my friends and my wife crazy. And, you know, my wife and I agree on these issues and all that sort of thing, but not everyone is into the whole activist thing, right? Or right. even just oh, speaking yeah. out about it and, and getting into the trenches and doing some arguing and stuff. So I realized I needed an outlet for it. So I'd started a blog, which is analyzeatheist.tumble.com. There's your plug. All right. So my plug. Um, uh, but, uh, and I, I apologize to my followers or anyone who's going to check it out. I haven't been doing a lot of posting lately because I've been participating in Reapsell Radio. So I, I okay. started listening to a lot of podcasts and that sort of thing, and uh, I found I found uh, uh, Reapsell Radio and, and many, many others, and there was something about that freeform that I really liked, and I'm liking about what you're doing here, Anton, is, is because I think you're right. You need to have a real conversation where you're not afraid to kind of get into it. Um, but uh, the... Reap interviewed me for uh, the Angry Atheist. Okay, and yeah, I, I, I really did that a long time ago too. I really, really enjoyed that experience. So that really opened me up to the podcasting thing. And uh, then, so I was listening to Reap So Radio, and you know he had Brian as a guest, or not a guest, or as a host, guest host, and then you know he's a regular, and then Al was there too. And oh, I love Al. And, and uh, yeah, Al <laughs> is fantastic. Awesome. And, and then, you know, I just thought, you know, like, man, I would love to be a part of this, right? So, like, I still had Reap on Skype or whatever, so I just messaged him. I was like, you know, you know, and I just asked him straight up, and I actually asked him to go on the Angry Atheist, too. Like, I mean, he was somewhat familiar with my blog, but I'm like, you know, I'm not at all beyond asking to come on and toot my own horn and, and right. have a say because I think that's important. And anyways, he welcomed me on there, and... Uh, you know, what's really interesting about Reap and what I really like about the guy is that we, do, we don't communicate the exact same way, but um, he is a very, very, very genuine person. Um, and, and, and I think that's – and we're actually, I think, a lot more, uh, lots more similar. Me and Reap are more, I'm more similar than, say, me and Brian. Right. Uh, in that in that way, I'm not saying that Brian's ingenuine. I'm okay. I have to back up here. It's not that Brian's not genuine. It's just that I it's it, I guess I find that Reap is who he is, no matter what. You know what I mean? And I cannot yeah. get away from making Brian sound like he's not genuine. I, it's not. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I I get what you're saying. And you know actually, what I mean? Uh, uh, yeah, and, and with that, unfortunately, I, I think we uh, really do have to, to jump off. But um, So, yeah, you said Analyzed Atheist. That's with a D because I got it wrong, .tumblr .com. And um, 
in case I don't figure out how to do this, um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I would like to throw bumpers on this, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to yet. So uh, any other places where you'd like people to find you? Um, no, uh, not really. Um, uh, it's, I'm on Facebook or whatever, but uh, I, I usually keep my Facebook pretty, you know, I, okay. I lock it down fairly well and just keep the people I, I, I know the best in there. Um, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, I just want to say that the, the people I've met since I've been involved in the online atheist skeptic community, uh, for the most part, have been absolutely fantastic. I mean, you, Anton, you're great. I really appreciate you inviting me on I appreciate here. that, yeah. And, and, like, you know, Reap and Brian and Al and, you know, like, honestly, they're, these, are, these guys and, 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 and not just guys, the women I've met, so open and so trusting and friendly and you, I can't just I can say a lot about you guys that I can't say about people I know in my real life and uh, you know I'm very I feel very happy to have met everyone here you know what I mean like yeah so it's I just the uh, I guess I'll give an open thank you I've never had really <laughs> had an opportunity to really give a thank you to the worldwide of online atheism but thanks so anyway I hope I'm not making you run over uh, no, that's fine. I mean, uh, but but with that, um, I'll just say thank you for agreeing to do this. I appreciate your patience, and we are figuring it out. Um, I'll be doing this as I can with people that I can. I'm not going to do any scheduled thing necessarily. Um, and uh, for my stuff, just atheistasshole.com, all one word, um, at Anton A. Hill on Twitter, which is where anybody can find anything. And I will be uh, I'll be promoting this sort of um, on that and on my site. And uh, if you want to do the same, feel free. I'll be tagging and whatnot. And uh, yeah, I guess I just uh, I just want to say finally thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing this with me. And um, I will uh, I'll of course check you out further you know down the road in the future. And if we ever get to do this again, awesome. And with that, thanks for coming on. And I am not going to give the last word because I got to go. <laughs> but. But uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Anybody who caught this, and uh, catch you next time.